everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining me today, as always, Miss Keith Bluefield. Welcome back. Hello, everybody. Mr. Lee Forrest is also in attendance. Welcome. Hello. And also, Mr. Matt Lovell returns. Hello. Hello, everyone. And also, we have a super-duper special guest, comic book extraordinaire, Mr. Ian Richardson, who you may have heard some, some previous issues, but he's given up his time gratefully today to join us to have a chat with us as well. What ho, folks. How are we? Good, thank you. Right, uh, we'll start off with our usual question, and Ian, you can kick off proceedings. How have you been um, doing the last few weeks? Lockdown been treating you okay? Um, good, yeah, fine, actually. It's, it's not tremendously different for these us comic artist types as we tend to spend most of our time in the same four walls anyway staring at a drawing board so the only thing I've missed is going to a comic shop and I, it's, it's must be very weird for somebody who like as you you probably go to comic shops quite regularly pick up inspiration yeah. for other people get your own lock boxes full up yeah yeah I think that's the only thing I've, I've genuinely missed is stuff like that otherwise it's, it's head down and getting on with work we I mean, normally would have bumped into you at a convention at least three or four times at this Absolutely. point in the year and you're probably being sick of the sight of us hovering around your table as if as if we mentioned before you went off air that you would have been at a few conventions the last few months have you really missed the convention yeah. scene this year it's been a two-phase thing I, I genuinely hadn't missed it much all the way through up until the autumn just because I've, I've been really fortunate enough to be kind of so busy and, and stuff. Um, but the back end of October and the start of November just kind of hit home a little bit because I'd, I'd had a, a run in, a, I would have had a run in of quite a, a nice few shows all, all together. So it was that, oh, yeah, I should have been here kind of moment. Should have been seeing everyone and, and things like that. And, Smiling, smiling when people pass the table for the twenty seventh time, and that's did, did you really draw that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the non comics post comics conventions, those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My sister draws as well, <laughs> and that was just Keith. <laughs> <laughs> All true. I bet it doesn't help that Facebook keeps throwing up memories of going. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. And there's the there seems to be the the Malta shows a a very popular one for everybody because it's it's such a apart from being an enjoyable event, it tends to be a very social event uh, uh, between creators and, and so on. So constantly everybody's throwing the same memories up at the same time. I just I just post pictures of Gary Erskine with an ice cream. Yeah, have you missed that kind of interaction with other comic artists and people in the same creative fields? Because I can imagine that's like a really good get-together for you guys and like talk yeah. about projects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we do. It's, it is the kind of constant works do ac 
across the year, you know. Um, especially when it comes to those kind of late in the year ones, it's, it's the closest we get to a, a worked Christmas party and, and what have you. Um, strangely enough, the doing bits and pieces of stuff like this in Zoom calls and Facebook message calls and, and so on, it means we've managed to catch up with a, a few buddies and, and so on. And, you know, mm -hmm. Getting into the habit of it now just to, just yeah. to stay in touch with people. Yeah, checking what's in the background before you're switching on the webcam. That's... Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's always yeah, throw, throw the dirty, throw the dirty laundry out of the way. Make sure there's something decent and, and uh, that I'm not supposed to be showing on the drawing board yeah. and, and things like that. Yeah, it, it was surprising how fast that everybody put a blur background feature into all the major. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? No, I, I've literally just been lazy and gone. Shut the door. That will do. <laughs> <laughs> so, what other kind of geek things have you been up to during the lockdown period to keep yourself busy? Not too much. You're actually buying far too many back issues and 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 uh, catching up with a bunch of TV and stuff that I hadn't had a chance to to watch for mm -hmm. a while. I've been a, a little bit behind in, in that, but also particularly enjoying the the weekly release stuff, like watching Mandalorian and, and, and Discovery and, and stuff. So. Mm -hmm. It's been lots of that, lots of reading, lots of watching TV. Yeah, when when I'm not working, trying to complete Netflix, which everybody seems to be the new goal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I managed to avoid it actually. Like I said, I've been fortunate enough that I've been working quite a lot, so it's mm -hmm. it's literally hitting Netflix and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and so on. Yeah, and um, once I actually get in bed at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Best. Such a glamorous lifestyle. <laughs> Keith, what have you been up to in the last few weeks since we talked to you? Um, I was trying. I was going to try and do them in order of priority, but I couldn't put them in any order. So, one thing I've been doing is going through basically Netflix, Amazon Prime, and adding to my list all of the quality Christmas shows that are coming up over the next few weeks. So I can just have a, a list of TV programs and films that, that, about Christmas that. I'm never going to watch Star Wars Holiday Special. I, I've, I've got to. I, well, I'm not starting anything until December, so that's on my list. And then there's some kind of. I think it's either Swedish or Norwegian. A series that I watched last year. There's a se second season coming this year. It's like love. It's it's a soapy type thing, but it looks quite. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, and there's a couple of other bits and pieces that I've added to it. Nothing. Nothing like all good quality stuff. There's no um, Love Actuallys in there, which you know. Are you sure? Yeah, it's, all, it's all Die Hard Nightmare Before Christmas season. Will Maddie be adding to this list in the background at some point and putting down like The Holiday and Love Actually and The Princess Switch? No, no, she's got very good faith apart from she watches Christmas Movies 24, which we're completely and utterly fascinated by at the moment. That Every film they make for that has been washed out so utterly. It's unbelievable. We just want to copy all the movies and put them into like a video editor and give it some contrast and some color. <laughs> it's like, why, why is, is, it, is it our telly? No, it's not our telly. Literally everything has been completely bleached out. I think uh, Hallmark movie have a big slot machine in the, like, their, their production room with three reels, which is, who's it going to be? which situation they're going to be in and who they're going to fall in love with by the end of the movie. And they just <laughs> yeah. pull that handle for every single movie script. It's, I think I watched an episode of Jimmy Fallon recently where they basically did the hallmark um, 
Christmas movie template was like it was some high flying executive moving back to their hometown to run the snow globe festival who meets their childhood sweetheart and then like everything's really good and it's all kind of like you know it's all Bedford Falls and everybody's happy and they realize that money's <laughs> and everything and the corner office in the New York penthouse isn't all that and they're like little rustic toasting marshmallows on a fire and it's all kind of like lovely it's it's a message that goes out to all those billionaires out there every year yeah <laughs> more town america that's where it's at he's gonna say you can always tell it's complete make-believe because they're, they're broke but living in a new york apartment that could live 20. <laughs> yeah they're always complaining i and yeah it's like i'm looking forward i think as i saw it's the the holiday movies that make us um from the people who did us the toys that make us and the tv shows that make us but it seems like they're only putting them out in, in bits. So they've got Elf and Nightmare Before Christmas coming soon. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, I watched. I've started getting um, through my backlog of comics that I picked up from Nostalgia at Worlds Apart a couple of weeks ago. So I'm catching up with those, and I'm about to start actually reading the X of Swords issues uh, after weeks of like recommending them to people to read. <laughs> I haven't actually read these yet. I'm sure it's fine, you know. That Jonathan Hickman, no, he knows what good. he's doing. It's good. Yeah, I've seen a bit of breaking news about that. I just saw Cy Spurrier tweet something out about something about after the dawn comes the rain for X-Men. Well, he's... um, Yeah, because it's also, as we're recording this, it's a very sad day because it's the final issue of his run on Hellblazer, which has been brilliant. Um, but he's going to be doing a Black Knight series for Marvel that starts Ooh. next year. Um, so whether that was planned to spin off the back of the fact that we'd have had the Eternals movie uh, recently, which the um, the geezer out of Game of Thrones is, is playing. <laughs> um, Kit. You know, Kit Harrington, yeah. That's She's McQueen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't quite picture it just yet, but... Um, whether that was supposed to spin out of that as well, that we were going to have these, this Eternals movie. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, because Sai's become one of those writers now that literally, literally anything he does, I think it's really good. But his, his Hellblazer run has been like phenomenal. It took me right back to the, the Jamie Delano days when, when he was kind of being um, taken into the Vertigo universe. But it's been very British, which I've loved about this. It's been a very particularly British-centric uh, series, and a lot of what he said in there, I've kind of gone, did the DC editors look at this? Because the stuff in here, I'm thinking, no, nobody's edited this. No, like, the special that they put out just, just before the series started, there was a poster in the background, and um, what the artist had put on it, and I was like, that, that couldn't have slipped by the editor. That, like, it was, it was a, just a great panel, but it's been a brilliant series, I've really enjoyed it. I'm kind of um, looking forward to seeing what side does next and then i did some of the digital thought bubble stuff mm -hmm. a couple of weeks back um which was kind of funny because i did ended up doing the thought bubble arms which was the online pub at the end of the night which was really bizarre because i tuned in thinking this is going to be good there's going to be some like comics um people here talking you know uh very very nicely about comics and it was just it just descended into just a conversation people would have had in the pub of like you know all the terrible things people were doing, or drunken escapades that they'd had at previous conventions. So it was quite, it was quite an amusing thing. Basically, everybody that wasn't one of the comics guests 
was just muted and not seen, and all we could see was the <laughs> kind of you know revealing their deepest darkest secrets. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I noticed it hasn't gone online since, so, so I'm wondering why they've gone. Yeah, we maybe we shouldn't have talked about all of that stuff, um, which is quite funny. Um, but that was that was quite amusing. Yeah, some of the thought bubble stuff you can watch back, can't you? Yeah, I'm on one of the I think last couple of weeks ago's um, comics roundup uh, post that we do. I'd put a couple of videos to some of the ones that I thought were the most. Um, well, they were most interesting to me, um, but there are a bunch of others. So if you follow, if you follow um, thegeekybrummy.com, you'll at least find those and be able to find out some of those. But yeah, that was pretty cool. So yeah, it's been a very comics and Christmas-centric couple of weeks, really. Gone, gone for the C words this, the last few weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can never go wrong with a C word. <laughs> Especially in Hellblazer. <laughs> Lee, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks since we chatted? I have my own C word to talk about, because um, <laughs> I actually have play- started playing a little bit of uh, Crusader Kings on Game Pass. Ah, oh, the world's most incomplicated, incoherent game yeah. to get involved with. Yeah, like, I-, I started playing it, and it was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but this is a lot of fun. Um, and it's it's just such a bizarre little game because you know you you're this sort of medieval ruler. You can like arrange marriages between everyone. It's it's mainly it's civilization, but instead of you're focusing on the actual building a world, you're focusing on the family that you're part of and the people around you. And just had like a, some very bizarre experiences, like accidentally marrying two women at once. That happened at one point. Because <laughs> I because I clicked to us. Because I clicked on the the. Um, arrange a proposal button but I didn't realise they still had it paused so when the thing didn't go through I thought that it glitched so I, I clicked it on another woman and then when I realised that it was unpaused I, I I played it and suddenly both marriage proposals were accepted and they had two wives all of a sudden I was like okay um, and then when that king died his son took over and immediately he got killed by someone <laughs> so I just sort of sat there like wait what just, what just happened so I got the you died thing come up and it was like okay you are now playing as this guy and then seconds later you died <laughs> it's like the most overly complicated thing i've ever seen because you can't do yeah. anything directly it's all yeah. through like you have like your retinue of staff and you yeah. like you you instruct yeah. your staff to go off and do things all the time and, yeah. it's like, it's... And, and i think you can like plot to assassinate anybody in the game as well even if they oh, yeah. slightly annoy you yeah so there's all sorts of different options. You can uh, murder people, you can imprison people just for the hell of it, you can uh, try and win people over, you can seduce people. So you can have your two wives, you can have a lover, and you can have a soulmate, and those are all separate people. Um, there, there are also, like, they've brought, you know, there's things like sexual orientation in there. So if you want to play, like, you could end up playing a gay king and just playing around with that as much as possible and trying to just seduce everybody that you encounter it's just such a bizarre game and it wasn't until i like i saw a video on it recently that i realized you can change the name of everything and that's definitely something that i might have to start playing around with (laughs) going forward because like someone just renamed like all of their children like after meal times like that was just every, every single child was like, this child is breakfast, this one is elevensies, this one's brunch. <laughs> and also, like having just played that, it's quite cool that they've just brought out new patch notes for it. Because now I I completely understand what the patch notes are saying, but out of context, they are on a par with the Sims patch notes. 
in just their absurdity. So we've got intelligent women no longer confront their pregnant lesbian lover to ask if they are the father of that child. Stupid women, however, still have a chance to ask that question. Physicians can now treat themselves, and they're also more likely to mess up your treatment if they're trying to murder you. You can no longer mistake your infant child for a serial killer. You cannot confide in friends you do not have. You will no longer call people vile as a friendly greeting. You will no longer think of your angry spouse as your vassal, and your spymaster will no longer fabricate a secret about themselves. So, although I think that they've still got the bizarre thing where your newborn child can have the gambling trait. I had that happen constantly. You have a new child and it's listed as like a, a, a cowardly gambler or something. I was just like, but he's one year old. <laughs> Maybe he's got furry dice hangling up in his crib. Maybe that's what proves it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's such a bizarre game and it makes no sense. Like there's so many different systems all clashing with each other and you're just like, I don't know what any of this means, but I'm going to just click this and see if that does something I want. And then next thing you know, you, you formed the Kingdom of Ireland and the two like counties at the north that you've handed off to members of your staff, they're at war with each other and you can't do anything about it. So I'm just watching as like there's this war going on at the top of my country and I'm just like, okay. They should just rename it Chaos Simulator, shouldn't they? It is, yeah. <laughs> While Lee was reading out that list of patch notes, I was just thinking, why doesn't re- why doesn't real life come with those? So you, <laughs> you can no longer confide in friends you don't have. Like, that, that sounds like something. Um... There's an entire subreddit on Reddit dedicated to that, which is outside. Really, really fun subreddit. Yeah. All going well on the Bob the Pet Ferret YouTube channel? We've got a video on Alan Wake, which by the time this podcast comes out, that should be out. And next up is the Advent Calendar, which is going to take up all the December, and I'm still working on. That's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Matt, how have yourself been keeping the last few weeks? Have you not to anything fun? To be honest, I've had very little time to do my normal geeky stuff, which is a bit daunting. Um, lots of work, and also I'm doing a, a course as well, which takes up a lot of my spare time. Um, but in terms of kind of switch off, I've um, and I'm worried I'm probably gonna get like barred from this podcast after saying this. I've been playing Call of Duty. Um, <laughs> so we got Call of Duty World War Two <laughs> um, on PS4. So I dug that out again, and because it's like a, a mindless shooty shooty shouty shouty game, you can just kind of zone out and just shoot things. Uh, so I'm playing that on the fly. That then got me into um, my World War Two vibes. And I started playing Wolfenstein The New Order, the uh, 20, 2014 mm-hmm. game. And again, it's it's very much the kind of over-the-top uh, Nazi shooting with hardcore id rock in the background. <laughs> um, yeah. The only other thing really geeky is so recently it's um, the Doctor Who's like fiftieth fiftieth birthday mm-hmm. um, sort of anniversary, and um, my partner is a massive Doctor Who fan. Whereas I I dabbled, so I, I watch here and there, but I'm by no means an expert. So they've been delighting me on taking me through um, sort of the whole saga of Doctor Who. So most recently, I watched the sixth Doctor, I think, fifth Doctor, sixth Doctor, um, Colin Baker, and the most recent episode was a uh, recent series was Vengeance on Varos, which was sort of like 
all the 80s Doctor Who low budget BBC cheese. I absolutely loved it. Um, and that's where I kind of discovered that um, one of his companions uh, was Nicola Bryan, who then uh, sort of appeared in Blackadder's Christmas Christmas Carol as a really annoying, uh, really annoying niece with the uh, high screeching voice. And it also had uh, Sean Connery's son in it, Jason Connery. So lots of like, little tidbits uh, to sort of appeal to my geeky side alongside classic cheesy Doctor Who. Classic Doctor Who where all the sets look like they're about to fall apart within five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that was and the... all the behind the scenes drama as well where they're kind of like, are we going to cancel it? Are we not going to cancel it? You know. Yeah. I think they pretty much started that with episode one of Doctor Who and never have stopped since. <laughs> 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 It's one of those shows that the BBC, I think, is like quite annoyed it was successful because I have to spend money on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but we could have another series with Strictly Come Dancing if we didn't have Brad Doctor Who. I think uh, my favourite has got to be how um, sort of the newer Doctor Who's have tried to bring in the very old, old Doctor Who's when there was no, no, there was no coherence. It was a Dyson Hoover with stuff tacked onto it. And they've tried to like bring it all back into like plot and canon, um, and so I've just I've just loved listening to my partner sort of give me explanations of, of how they've managed to fit in the very first couple of Doctor Who episodes into like the canon and that kind of thing where there was no plan at all because they were just like we're just doing this thing. <laughs> it's always fun to watch the old episodes. I remember the, it was, I think it was the John Pertwee era where he didn't have the TARDIS for like half a series. Or longer when he just had a car instead. Yeah, <laughs> but he had to run because John, John, the third Doctor, had been banished to Earth for being yeah. naughty. Wasn't he? Is the car called Bessie? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's when he was and working with Mobile as well, which is a futuristic looking one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where me and Ian were like showing our um, <laughs> maturity. <laughs> well put. Yeah. <laughs> you you remember this from reruns, don't you, gentlemen? Reruns. Yeah. When when I was watching them as a fetus. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me want to, to send Matt out. I've wanted to go myself. I've seen it advertised on Facebook a few times. They've re-released uh, the sixties Dalek comic strips. Oh right. In a kind of collected edition. So this is like after the Daleks became really popular. In Doctor Who, they had their own spin-off um, comic strip, which was just their adventures. No, no Doctor Who in it at all. Um, we, and it, they were just mad. They were just like <laughs> un- unbelievably bizarre adventures for the for the um, the Daleks. And we want to pick those up. But it's like a big format one that you can get in like supermarkets and W H Smiths. And I can't keep meaning to get it, but they keep saying they sell out all the time. Mm. <laughs> on a on a sort of related Doctor Who and Doctor Who comics notes. I don't know exactly what it is, but I, I know about it through the Kickstarter that we've been doing and, and some associated friends. Um, there's a Kickstarter running with an associated audio volume to it that has non-canon Doctor Who stuff because John Ridgeway is drawing it. And don't quote me on this, but for what I've seen, they have Brian Blessed as a Time Lord. Oh. <laughs> the collective intake of breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a little there, wasn't it? The Time Lord that should have been. But he was a villain yes. in a few episodes, wasn't he? Back in the day. 
Lost Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of him with a, a silvered he's beard. One, he's in one of the um, six Doctor. He's, he's a British actor. He's been in Doctor Who at some point. <laughs> Very good Matt, point. Yeah. If Matt's watching the fifth, six Doctor series, he'll come across that Brian Blessed episode soon. Mm-hmm. And that's quite cool as well because John Ridgway did some of the Doctor Who official strips. He did the yeah. Sylvester McCoy ones, I think. That's he did, right, he did yeah. some of the six Doctor ones as well, I think. You're right. Yeah, well, also, what's the, um, the non-canon um, thing? I think they did for Children Need or Current Relief or something, where um, it was Rowan Atkinson was a, a Time Lord yes. and Joanna Lee and that kind of thing, you know. I yeah. watched that recently, that was brilliant as well. That was actually fantastic. I think one of the favourite movies from my childhood was the uh, Peter Cushing non-canon Doctor Who film that they released, which was Doctor Who and the Daleks, and it's basically... Doc- like they went to the planet of the Daleks and found the other species, and it was all... A fun little rompy adventure, which has no relation at all to the canon now. I'm surprised I didn't try and head squeeze him in the 40th anniversary special they had a few years ago, though. Just like put Peter Cushing in the background at some point, just as like <laughs> an alternate universe time lord. Just, just waving. Utterly terrified by the Dalek invasion of Earth um, film. They did, they did a yes. second one. And I, that, I was absolutely terrified by that, that whole idea of. Daleks invading London and the, the real world. It's like that was it really spooked me out when I was a, a wee nipper. <laughs> and they revisited that with um, what's his face? <sighs> Completely gone out of my head now. David Tennant's era and like the Dalek invasion in that one, didn't they? Yeah, not as scary though. <laughs> well, not as scary to me when I'm like my age now. <laughs> I can't speak for the age of seven. I don't know. It's 2020. It could still happen. <laughs> yeah. I quite pride myself on not being scared by like you know kids' TV shows now. So it's like it's a sign of my uh, you know my advancing years. <laughs> maturity, Keith. Maturity. Yeah. maturity. Like a fine cheese or a, a good one. <laughs> and what have you been up to, Ryan, in the last few weeks? Uh, I've moved on to the letter E. So I have been, whilst tweeting Great British Bake Off and MasterChef UK under my foodie account, I've also been catching up on Enterprise, the uh, Scott Bakula series, which uh, killed off Star Trek for a little while, which most people are still very angry about. It was off the back of Voyager and DS9, and it was a Rick Berman-pushed series. I'm enjoying it, watching it now, more than I enjoyed it when it was out at the time, I think. It's one of those shows that's probably aged a little bit, but better than when it was on screen. I think it was because it was coming off some of the most critically acclaimed episodes with like DS9 and Voyager where you've had some really good storylines, there's some really bad ones mixed in, whereas Enterprise kind of like had this consistent alright kind of quality to it, where it was very much your episode of the week with not very much of an actual proper storyline until the second season kicking in. It's not as bad as I was expecting to go back to watching it. So because I've basically spent this year going back to the start of Star Trek, so I watched the original series, then watched the animated series. So I'm trying to do it in chronological order a bit, so I thought I'd watch the Enterprise, even though it's after the original series, but it's kind of like going back to the start again. And now Discovery's in the mix to really mix up the timeline. <laughs> But apart from that, uh, I've been also taking advantage of Game Pass. I've uh, started playing Senua's Sacri- um, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, which is perfectly acclimatised to having very long 
nights and being dark and dull and depressing i think <laughs> and if you've never played the game it's a very interesting take on norse mythology and at the same time it explores mental health i've played like the first hour or so of it yeah it's currently one of the many games installed on my ps4 that's just waiting to be properly played through yeah so it's it's a really interesting game and it's i can't really describe it anywhere apart from like playing it yourself it's kind of like she's the, the whole plot of it is she's going to hell to rescue her brother back. But she's coming to terms with her own mental issues at the same time, going through the like all the different stages of the game. Are, are the villains just like interpretations of her own mental illness, or are they actually there? It's kind of really interesting game to delve into. So nice and happy choice for uh, the run-up to Christmas. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, what, I've, what I've played of it and seen of it in general, like, They've done some really clever stuff with like the voices in her head. Yeah. That like just basically you'll just get these different voices coming from seemingly nowhere, mm-hmm. and some of them are helpful, some of them are the opposite of helpful. Yeah. And you know I think it's a and I, one thing I do like about that one from everything I've seen of it is just Ninja Theory went out of their way to make sure that all the mental health stuff was represented correctly, because mm-hmm. um, it's one of those things where you just know that. Some people handling it might have just thought, oh, well, I imagine it's like this and gone for it, but yeah. they actually did have like um, It's actually one of the first credits you see at the start of the game, I believe. It's like yeah. a mental health consultant was this person. So, yeah. And I think, you know, more of that is, is good to see in games. Yeah, and it's good to see mental health treated properly and not like a, a meter in the game for like your health and mm-hmm. like your mental, mental state, which was mm-hmm. one of those things that was used quite a lot in the 90s and 2000s horror games. Where you'd have like your insanity meter, and then that would affect the stuff. Whereas this is actually treating it properly, like it's a, mm-hmm. it's it's a good exploration at the same time, as well as being yeah. a game. Really recommend it. So if you've got Game Pass, worth checking it out. Yeah, it's that that and Celeste are like the two examples that always come up as like really good representations of mental health. So. And coming on to other news, we had our setting the scene poll a few weeks ago. Time to reveal the winners. So, it was me versus Matt versus... We were doing scenes from 2001 A Space Odyssey, the classic sci-fi Kubrick adventure. So, in last place, unfortunately, was Matt with his DVA corridor image. (laughs) (laughs) In second place was Keith, recreating opening the pod bay doors with Buzz Lightyear. And in first place, that means it was me, of course, with my recreating of the monolith scene at the start of the movie using a blanket, a battery pack, and Mojo Jojo from... (laughs) <laughs> on the path of kills uh, a winning combination there a winning combination which you've since somehow managed to conjure up in the real world as well <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes yeah the, the, that's somebody really going to certain extremes to like win the setting the scene challenge isn't it but in an actual <laughs> monolith in Utah <laughs> I like it every single comment was on, on that is don't touch it it's 2020 we don't know what it does <laughs> <laughs> Step away. Well, it means that I get to pick the film for the next challenge. And thinking about this, it usually takes us two episodes. So we'll be nearly at Christmas. So I'm, I'm choosing the ultimate Christmas movie for this one, which is Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie. No debate about it. It's a Christmas movie. It's not a movie set a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. So we all have to go away and recreate a scene from Die Hard. Cool. I'll, I'll um, 
I'll lay glass all over my floor and rip my feet apart. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting the kitchen foil to come out for the vent scene for quite a lot of this. <laughs> if, if I'd have known that in advance, I'd just yeah, I'd be front and center. I'd say I'm doing the Bruce Willis part. <laughs> <laughs> I might steal you for my picture. In. <laughs> coaching, coaching Ian to do, like, can you post me? Don't want to like those boudoir photographs. Just if you could just post for me, Ian. Yeah. The thing photo. is that isn't, like, isn't this fine. isn't this the rule of this? There has to be stuff in your house, and I'm pretty sure Ian isn't in either of your houses. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very it's good point. I'm just I'm just waiting for an invite to be included in your Christmas bubble. <laughs> you, you've, you've got to crawl through the crawl spaces. That can only be in the vents. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, it's fine. I, I have a dirty vest. <laughs> right, so we're sticking to Die Hard 1. So no scenes from Die Hard 2, Die Hard 3, Die Hard 4.0. Or any of the other million of Die Hard movies that seem to have come since. Mm -hmm. so I look forward to the results of this competition next episode. So as I mentioned, we are joined by comic book extraordinaire Mr. Ian Richardson, who has done fantastic work across 2000 AD for Future Shocks, Dread, uh, Sinister Dexter. He's done some many fine Xenoscope covers. He's worked on Halo, and he's just completed his very very successful run on Kickstarter with the Unthinkables comic. Welcome back to the show. Hello, chaps. How are we all? Very good to have you here. Very good. So I'm going to hand over to Keith for this, as Keith is our comic book gentleman. Expert. I mean, part of the reason we've asked you on the show, Ian, is, is to kind of talk to you a little bit more in depth about um, the Unthinkables, um, which is your extremely successful Kickstarter, but it's got a bit of a history to it. It's um, it's it's not your kind of regular ho hum run of the mill um, Kickstarter. So how how did the whole idea no. of of Kickstarters of, of the Unthinkables come about? It's really really the writer Paul Hanley's baby. I mean, Paul's had it for he, he actually posted a floppy disk, a picture of a floppy disk, a three and a three quarter inch floppy disk on Facebook the other day with the title on when he started and it was something like 2008. Um, and he's, he's had like a little run in with various creators and, and stuff. Uh, like Paul doesn't mention it that much, but uh, the, the artist on it before me was um, Aaron Kuda. So Aaron had to pass before he really got into pages and because he was offered something called Superman or something like that. Um, so it was a yeah okay fair enough yeah we'll give you that. Um, and then then Paul found my stuff on DeviantArt years ago. So that's oh that's like 2014 maybe something like that. And we've been dipping in and out of it sort of across the years from then when more down to me more than anything else when when I've got the time to spend on it that wasn't sort of regular deadlined work, you know, like 2000 AD stuff or, or Xenoscope covers or what have you. Um, and then it had gone through the various submissions and it went to Image and so on and so forth. And, and Paul had spoke to a, a good few different publishers uh, 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 about being interested in 
people like Antarctic Press were interested in and so on for a while. And, and even Marcosia over here. Um, but, and I, I, I totally understand Paul's point of view when it came down to it. The only reason he didn't go down that, those alleyways were they ended up just wanting a little bit too much in the way of ownership of the property. And, and you know, Paul had invested a, a, a big chunk of change in it up until uh, up until recently. So, you know, it, it is. It was his baby that he kind of wanted to protect for a while. And then um, a third party kind of passed it on to a, a small American publisher called Unlikely Hero Studios. And they kind of just snapped it instantly, liked it, and, and basically turned around and said, do whatever you want to. Okay. You know, what's, what's not to like about that? Um, and we have various discussions along the way about how to do it and and ended up in Kickstarter and it's it's really been the unlikely heroes people that have, have, have kind of run the whole thing it's, it's people like me and Paul chipping in with bits of publicity as we can um, but they're the ones who've, who've kind of run the successful campaign uh, and I think I don't think any of us are going to complain when the original the original stretch goal was Five thousand dollars, and it's over fourteen thousand dollars now. Um, which also means we were we were kind of going to do a Kickstarter ish, issue by issue, and uh, the first volume is like a, a six issue one. Um, but this is this has been successful enough that it's meant that we can do the first two issues just in this this one Kickstarter. Uh, yes, so literally, <laughs> Kickstarter should be finishing about now. Because it was a, it was a bit unusual because um, I'd seen it. I think earlier this year, um, Paul had, had put it out um, as part yes. of his Patreon. So That's I right. Uh, the Ashcan edition, which I think is different now to the yes. what will be the print edition. Um, so it's quite nice, but it's like. You know, you're kind of greeted with these spectacular opening pages that kind of go, you kind of go, okay, this is not going to be my regular kind of superhero comic. So can you, could you tell us a little bit more about the premise of, of the, the, the comic itself? Um, I'm trying to think. I, I, I can see there's kind of lots of comparisons to like a, a Suicide Squad kind of thing or a Losers kind of thing. Um, and the, the, the tagline that they initially came up with that Paul initially came up with the, the, using the, uh, the Kickstarter campaign was um, maybe giving the job of saving the world to a bunch of supervillains isn't the best idea in the world. Dot, dot, dot. Oops. Um, and it literally is that. That's, it, it's difficult to say too much in the instance without giving too much away of kind of what happens another couple of issues down the line um but the the, the broad strokes is we open in the very first issue with pretty much all the superheroes in the world getting killed so what happens next if you've got no superheroes to, to protect you you kind of have to look elsewhere and somebody's bright idea is to give it to supervillains instead and these are morally corrupt people. 
have no redeeming qualities whatsoever. I, I think, uh, as some people picked up on some of the live stream stuff we've done for uh, for the Kickstarter, one of the favourite phrases that seems to crop up is "dick blood." Yeah, I'm I'm wearing your boss's dick blood. Okay, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a comic, and the premise does kind of fit with the times we're living in quite quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like yeah, if you put the if you put the worst people in charge of things, kind of absolutely, there, there absolutely. Stuff, this is what's going to happen. Um, what's it like working collaboratively with Paul? Because Paul's quite an uh, you know accomplished artist in his own right, and very much he, so. He, he came up with the original character designs. Yeah, pretty much. Like working with Paul. It's uh, very easy, to be honest with you. It's kind of very much um, lets me get on with stuff, but we still kind of do it as a as a proper creative process and stuff. So I will still send Paul um, proper layouts so he can go through uh, stuff before I, I put pencil to paper properly. Uh, and I think he seems to like the way I look at things. We very, very rarely change uh, anything as we go along. And I like Paul's sense of humour and the sense of humour that, that it's written in. It appeals to me. It's not, you know, the, the, the book has a whole bunch of humour in there which doesn't make it overly dour or overly dark. But then at the same time, it's not just a laugh fest, it's not a comedy book. Um, I, I, I call Paul the most verbose Texan I've ever met. <laughs> Providing it's via written medium. You speak to him personally, very, very quiet chap. Uh, emails are like war and peace. Is that very helpful for an artist, though, to have that depth of notes to go back to? And that very much so. Yeah, I'm, I'm a kind of weird thing. Like, I, I've not had to do too much in, in the way of working like Marvel method stuff. I haven't had to do much of that. And I kind of prefer it the other way around. So if somebody could, as long as it's not ridiculous stuff, as, as long as you're not talking about page-long descriptions per panel. I, I, I prefer somebody being able to say, this is what I want. And then if I can do my best to give them what I want, whilst at the same time kind of going, we could do this as well. Um, it, it, it suits me, it suits my brain better, I, I think. So, no, it, it's good and they're nice scripts to read. I, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I mentioned you talked to us in the past about the Halo work, and it was very, very minute kind of detail. <laughs> Obsessive, and 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 that was that came from three four three, you know, and and, and I I get that. Um, licensed property books like that always seem to be that always seems to be a common thread um, for people I know that have worked on stuff like that. Um, just because you're essentially trying to please two masters, you know, you, you're on, uh, using the Halo stuff as, as an example, you're trying to please Dark Horse as the publisher, whilst they're 
trying to please 343 three and keep everything sort of continuity wise and, and stuff. Uh, and, and especially for stuff like the one that I did, which was just, it was pre five. So it was, it was, in, it was the introduction of, of characters like Tanaka and stuff before we, we, we got to see her in Halo 5. So I guess I can see why they were fussy about stuff like that. That's my diplomatic hand. But it's nice as well to see you doing interiors um, on a book or a change to the cover. So it seems really yeah. weird that you, it's like, I don't think I've seen you, I've seen a cover that you've done for your own book as yet, which is kind of like, usually I see, I see you work on cover, other covers for other people's work, and now it's completely yeah. flipped the other way around. And, and it, yeah, so Unthinkables, number one, will actually be the first book I've ever, no, tell a lie, Noble Causes Counts as well, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's a while ago. So, the, I'll rephrase that, the first book for probably 15 years that I'll have done that has my cover art and my interiors. It's, it's a weird discipline. Some, sometimes if you kind of, if you're knee deep in deadlines doing sequential pages and so on, you find yourself thinking, oh, I'd kill for two weeks just doing a couple of covers. And then when you spend X amount of months doing covers, you go, oh, I really like to tell some stories now. <laughs> It's, it is. It, it, I suppose it's the same for anybody. When you do one thing for a long time, you miss doing something else and, and what have you. Or maybe I'm just can't satisfy me. I'm not unsettled. <laughs> I always want to. I always want to do what I'm not doing right now. But that's not true. Do you think that after this initial six issues, you you you'll come back to these characters, or do you thinking that maybe perhaps you and Paul will go collaborate again on something something entirely new? I'd like to. Um, I know Paul's got. I don't think it's giving anything away. Um, Paul's got, uh, so after we finish this six, Paul's actually in the middle of something with um, uh, Godzilla artist Matt Frank. Um, uh, I won't say the name just in case I'm not supposed to. So he's in the middle of something that that's set in the same universe as well. So it was kind of a run through that. And then Paul already has sort of semi-written in his head volume two of The Unthinkables as such. So having so many like un unlikely heroes on board yeah. now as well will hopefully mean that we will get to see something in print again later on. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And, and I think um, it's been mutually beneficial as well. You know, this... This Kickstarter has been the highest number of backers and the highest single issue um, final figure for Unlikely Heroes as well. And they're they're really good people to work with. I, they're as a small company, they're somebody that genuinely deserves to be kind of image comic size. Yeah. Um, so I'd I'd like to see kind of work on the, the back end for them as well and, and and raise their profile a little bit more as well. I watched the first uh, Facebook Live transmission you did, yes. even though it was like almost, I think it was, was it midnight in the UK when it went out? Mm -hmm. 
and it was like, why have, why have I stayed up to, to watch this? Um, <laughs> it was actually really good, and, and the fact that you got to, to see some of the guys behind and Like Your Heroes, yes. and, and kind of how passionate everything they were about the project itself, and uh, and, and supporting um, you and Paul, so that was, that, was, that was really good, and so you kind of got a sense that like, this is people who kind of understand comics and what and kind yeah, of really very much so. About yeah, yeah, and, and you know they, they've had uh, sort of kind of reasonable indie success and stuff with the, the books that they've done, like Surgeon and stuff before, which is on their third issue. You know, and that's that's a nice little kind of um, sets out a stable for us as well, where other books that they're doing, it's not just been a single issue. And that's it's you know they're kind of on issue three four plus for for other books they've done you know so it, it established something for us do you think this is going to be something going forward as a lot more comic creators are going to be interested in is going to the kickstarter yeah. route i think so i think so you know I, I, i'm finding myself kind of backing more and more stuff these days and the, there's an article on um, I think it might, uh, I might be wrong, but I think it might be like CBR or something like that the other day. Uh, like 2020 is, is bought in like $20 million um, on just comics Kickstarters so far up to the year. So by the time the year ends, you know, you're kind of looking at heading towards the $25 million race. You know, if you, if you kind of it's an opportunity to do for people to do passion projects for themselves. If it's done really well, there's, there seems to be a, an enthusiastic audience for it. Um, you know, like the the as that's just finishing, some of the most popular tears that people were snapping up were cameo tears. You know, people, so people can get drawn into the next issue. They're worn in advance, they quite possibly will be either naked or dead. <laughs> or or both. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of people are throwing, you know, hundreds of dollars at these things and it's uh, It's very interesting to see what's gone on at DC recently versus some yes. of the Kickstarter successes you have where you've got this very well known one of the big two and they seem to be going through this clearing of house, especially in the comic side, but at the same time comic seems to be getting stronger than ever. And also, I, I, I think um, by association with the DC stuff as well, um, what's been happening with, with Diamond and, and how it's been difficult in certain circumstances, I know for a, at least us here in the UK to be able to get the book sometimes. You know, we've, we've had uh, situations where um, whole shipping containers of comics have gone missing um, and I, so I, th I think you know when, when people have either their full lists or they, they go to their regular local comic shop and, and pick the stuff up if, if the books aren't there for them to get if there's an appetite for them to look elsewhere and plus you know it's, with Kickstarter stuff, the really well-run campaigns have extra stuff in it. You know, it's, it's like ours. You, you get 
okay, there's, there's the appeal for some people for badges and magnets and stickers, and, and, and but then you kind of get into uh, prints and, and commissions you can get from people, and the original art pages as well, which you, you know, it's not stuff that you can necessarily always access by picking a book up off the shelf or or grabbing your pull list. It does make it something extra special for, for yeah. comics collectors, getting getting original pages and stuff. Um, you know, would have been a tricky thing to do in the past, but being offered straight off the back of a Kickstarter campaign. And I think as well the idea of um, pub publishers and creators thinking we can do six issues or 12 issues or a 20 yeah. issue run and tell our story and that's it. And you've not got years and years of continuity and all the rest of it to pick up on. And, and there's no... You know, you've got to. When do I jump into a Batman or yeah. Superman or whatever it is? I can just pick up one story, get told a great tale, and then I can go on to the next thing or follow those creators and follow whatever stories they create next. Absolutely, it becomes this more accessible, finite thing for you, then, doesn't it? it, it exactly as you said, you're kind of not investing in years and potential decades down, down the run to, to pick up. Issue one thousand and thirty-one, and there's there's something about the idea of like being able to pick up something like the 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 Unthinkables, but also get sent something like a Rachel Smith, the Rabbit, yes. or Wild yeah. Wrong. That you can you can go from one end of the spectrum to the other, which you might not get in a in a in a kind of Marvel DC publishing range. You you know it's not like the olden days where you used to get romance stories yeah. coming out of DC, while you also had kind of EC horror style type stuff. So the diversity of stories that you can get, and the fact that um, both, I think, both Kickstarter and Indiegogo and other campaigns are, are actually actively promoting uh, comics coming from um, kind of like minority voices and going, you know, there, there are there are comics for everybody. This is, you know, it's it's happened in the past, and this is a medium where, you know, whatever whatever you're interested in, whatever stories you want, there are comics out there. And I think that takes us more in line with the kind of European and certainly Japanese thinking about the medium of comics being open to all kinds of, of stories and there's something for everybody. Very much so. And, and you know, it's a, it's a challenging audience, isn't it? You know, as we've had some creators pointing out recently, um, uh, some of the bigger publishers can be seen that the material they produce is for middle-aged, middle-income, white men, blah, blah, blah. You know, so so having access to that kind of diversity and, and stuff, as you say, stuff like Rachel, um, there's, there's uh, a, a, another local creator, Kathleen Hennings, who does um, uh, stuff like being a cosplayer and being ginger. Um, which are both incredibly fine and, and both really well done. Again, another two successful Kickstarter campaign. For those that have missed picking up the Unthinkables, is it going to be a limited release in certain comic shops? Um, we're hoping so. We, we've actually had a, a, a Dodge comic shop uh, get in touch with us today. I know a few bits and pieces are, are available in the States, but we're also getting um, extra copies printed um, so all the creators will have an extra bundle of copies and, and stuff, so, um, so people can always get uh, hold of stuff from me direct. And also, 
if we ever happen to be in a con again, <laughs> um, I'll have a, uh, be able to have a bunch of stuff on, on the table uh, for people to have a look at. And just like Keith says, books of mine to pick up are, there are more than just my covers to look at and then put back down again. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I'm ho we're all hoping for this, I think, is the return of a convention, because it's been way too long, I think. Yeah, it yeah. would have been roughly about the time of MCM in Birmingham, I think, now, which usually was our yeah. end comic convention of the year. So I have sorely missed it this year. I haven't missed lugging all my gear to the NEC. But, <laughs> 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 but I've missed being there, yeah. That's, that's the only thing I haven't missed is the the end of the convention day or even worse the end of the convention weekend and getting to six o'clock on a sunday afternoon and going okay we're done oh, i've got to pack all this crap away now <laughs> yeah that's always the downside of a convention is especially if you're bringing yeah. in stuff is when you're already tired out from a what can be three or four very long days having to then pack everything up and bring it home <laughs> but but no, I, I genuinely enjoy them because ninety nine percent of everybody that comes here is really nice and, and nice to be able to have a chat. And as you chaps know, I'm shy and retiring, so I don't usually have much to say. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Um, so what's what's next on the horizon for you, Ian? I I I, I do believe you may have something to do with the uh, Lord Man of the Future happening in the next... Old stony phase. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've got a, a new two parts of Dread, so that should probably be coming out starting next year now. Um, so that'll be magazine as well. So I, I do quite like the, the magazine stuff, um, just because it, you, it's a, that slightly longer story format. Um, so each... each issue tends to be a 10 page story as opposed to the, the, the progs which are usually about five or six um, so having a two-parter in May means I get to do 20 pages of dread uh, which is like almost a whole issue um, so yeah um, that'd be fun actually uh, don't drock with Bob okay. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you Bob you have to wait so. I think you posted a couple of preview. I have, yeah, yeah, and a couple of little bits and pieces. Lots yeah. of dread in the rain. It looks, it looks phenomenal. So it's like, oh yeah, this, this should be pretty I, cool. I have it's, it's one of the um, rare things for me to say is I'm kind of finishing pages and going, oh, quite like that. I, it usually takes me two or three weeks, and then going back to a page and going, actually, that's all right, Ian. That's not bad, but I'm. I'm I've been finishing them at the moment and going, oh, I quite like that. So that bodes well. And with Regend coming back to 2021, would you, if they gave you the opportunity, would you like doing something for the more of a younger audience? Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Um, I, I think I'd maybe uh, rejig my style a little bit for it and try and make it a little bit cleaner to kind of fit that. But also, kind of, I wouldn't mind doing something that's not true. Just for Keith's benefit, I'm dying to do some Sinister Dexter again. Yes. I so want to do some Sinister Dexter. 
it's like they're so underappreciated and I haven't touched them for years and I, I, I do like um, Dan Lowe's favourite Gun Sharks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really look forward to that if you do get the chance to do that again. Oh, my, I'll, I'll yeah. sort of, just have to pass the Thark. That would be the thing for the regen issue, the teenage. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, perhaps, perhaps when they first met or something, like there's a couple I'd of teenage tearaways at, high, at, a, at a school, but not unlike Grange Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, exactly not right. <laughs> there would be a sausage in, on a fork somewhere within the yeah, yeah. You could you could see them shaking down other kids their lunch money in the corner, couldn't you? There will be an email out to Dana before I go to sleep tonight. <laughs> at which point it will go. Who are you? <laughs> Dan Abner, he must be the busiest man working that I know of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, 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 he's a genuinely nice bloke, and uh, yeah. um, I don't have to remind him who I am every time I see him. He always remembers. <laughs> <laughs> so now he's done so much stuff for the Warhammer Black Library as well. On top yeah, of the 2018. Very much so. Well, yeah. he seems to enjoy it. So mm-hmm. I think he's. He's one of Britain's most underrated writers, I think, in terms of comics. I think so. Like, I never, I never understand why his name isn't mentioned in the same kind of spheres as as Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and all the rest of it, because he's even, written some of the greatest stories that we've had in comics. Even especially coming off all that Annihilation stuff mm-hmm. that he did with Andy Lanning, um, now perhaps he just enjoys doing what he does. He's not, he's not the most visible creator. At least social media wise and stuff like that. He's just kind of happy to get on and do what he does. Talking of social media, where can we find you, Ian, on, to see your beautiful artwork online? Usually either Instagram, I'm Ian underscore Richardson underscore art. And then um, Facebook, I always have to remind myself that it's probably still Rico Illustration. But then if you, if you just search for Ian Richardson, you'll find me because it's usually at the moment pictures of my gurning face <laughs> threatening to tell us naughty stories in a Birmingham accent <laughs> I, I, I I wash my hands entirely of that that's, that's down to other people as I, as I pointed out to, to somebody else I am a media whore so <laughs> well, that, that's the thing that I was going to say Ian, the next, the next thing you should do it reminds me of some of the old comics back from when I was less mature is um, you, you could you could be responsible for a, a pin-on flexi-disc music track to go oh. with the Unthinkables that would be fantastic a, a kind of a, a, a song or an instrumental that is goes with the, the comic itself that could be a, a well, t- taped on flexi-disc all I'll say is um, uh, between the, the Unthinkables creators and and I'm like a hero student, we have a, a, a Discord group for kind of creative conversations. And it was briefly mentioned today something related to audio for the, the next volume if we go mm-hmm. through. Yeah. <laughs> and as I, keep, as I keep threatening people that I was actually supposed to be writing an album this year, that's gone out the window. So, yeah. so maybe I should turn it into an unthinkables themed, um, like a big prog rock, an old Yes album. Yeah. Um, 
a concept album, yeah. Album. An Unthinkables concept album would be stunning. That would that, be lovely to see old band camp, I think. <laughs> I'll give, I'll give, absolutely, absolutely. A nice, a nice gatefold. Um, of course. Vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get Brian Bolland to do the cover for us. That'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, thanks for letting us in on your comic exploits, Ian. It's been great to have you on the show. So My well. pleasure. And it's time again for the Geeky Brummy Pool List. Coming up on the pool list, we have The Dreaming Waking Hours Number 5 from DC's Black Label. This is written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Nick Robles, all behind a cover by Tiffany Turrell. After his escape to the waking world went terribly awry, Ruin finds himself face to face with his creator, Dream, and Dream is not happy. Is there any force in this world that could stop him from unmaking his most unpredictable creation? Also from DC's Black Label, we have Strange Adventures number 7. This is written by Tom King, with art by Mitch Gerrards and Evan Shanner, who each do a cover. Adam Strange was right. In this issue, guest starring Batman, the Pikits have come to Earth, and they plan to claim the planet as their own. Earth's greatest heroes have faced alien invasions before, but they are about to learn that the Pikits are more formidable, more determined, and more deadly than any invading force they've faced before. Only Adam Strange has ever defeated them but it nearly cost him everything, including his own sanity. How did he survive? Mr. Terrific will need to uncover that secret if humanity is going to survive. And then a little later, from Dark Horse Comics, we have Bill and Ted are doomed number four. This is written by Evan Dorkin, with art by Roger Langridge. We have a regular cover by Evan Dorkin, and a variant cover by Benjamin Dewey. The evil metal band Vile Empire unleashes a horde of chaotic trolls to destroy Bill and Ted. While back in San Dimas, the stations and robots form a plan to try and save their friends. But can help arrive in time to save our most harried heroes, not to mention our totally excellent universe. And my final pull for the next couple of weeks is Ultraman The Rise of Ultraman number 4 from Marvel. This is written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom, with art by Francesco Manor. Overrun by Kaiju and pinned behind enemy lines, Kiki could really use the help of the newly emerged Ultraman, but what went wrong with the merging process, and how will that impact our hero? With that to deal with, Shin must also decide whom to trust, the benevolent-seeming but deeply secretive USP, or the bitter whistleblower Dr. Yamamoto, and a wrong choice could cost him everything he holds dear. Keep an eye on the Geeky Brummy Twitter feed on Wednesdays for other comics of interest that you might want to check out, and now back to the main show. Lee and Matt, it has been an eventful few weeks in the world of gaming, so probably a good time for us to update our listeners. So I will hand over to both of you to do the stuff which I have no information on because I'm really, <laughs> when it comes to non-console gaming, anything but console <laughs> gaming nowadays. Yeah, so um, yeah, we've had uh, the launch of the next-gen consoles. They've uh, come out and I think both companies have said that it's like their biggest launches for both the Xbox and the PS5, yeah. which of course they've been which, of course, led to me making a joke on Twitter about how, like, well, the PS5 is massive, so it is their biggest console launch. <laughs> it's always going to be their biggest console launch, no matter how many they saw. <laughs> I saw a great tweet where somebody just said that I bought a $500 console, which is just a space heater for my cat, with the cat just stood in front of the Xbox Series X. <laughs> well, I do like that someone had the, a PS5 in between, like, two fans that are basically shaped exactly the same. So it looked like it was like the tiny, a tiny version of one of these massive fans. <laughs> um, 
I mean, we've got like people blowing vape smoke through their Xboxes and stuff, and we've got um, uh, the what big thing with the PS5 at the moment is the um, scalpers and how like especially it's especially bad over here actually, where um, apparently some scalpers have more stock than some shops. So we're talking like I think one guy said he had like three thousand he'd managed to get. So it's like. I have no idea where he got them all from, but that's that's just absurd. That like he's somehow got three thousand, while you know a lot of the shops are just struggling to get a couple of hundred here and there. So yeah, I think my nephew's been trying to get hold of one since pre-orders went up, and every time a shop mentions they're in stock, they're gone within thirty seconds on the website. So mm-hmm. unless you unless you've got really fast reflexes for your trigger fingers on click and purchase, you've got no chance. Or more accurately, if you've got a bot. Like the scalpers do. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a shame, especially in this this climate when you know retailers particularly really need um, that extra boost. It is sad, mm-hmm. and it's something that is relatively not new, but in the last couple of years with the prevalence of like you know online. Because back in the day when it was you know the original Xbox and PS2, you wouldn't get someone walk in and purchase like fifty consoles and walk back out again. It's something exclusively to um, sort of the 2020 vibe of you can literally get a bot, which will then order you 3,000, 30,000 PS5s and it will arrive at your door or your warehouse or whatever. I think the problem as well with that is like they can do it because it's all online. And I think the reason why we're not seeing it stopped is because you're saying it's, it's bad for retailers, but at the end of the day, the retailers are getting all that stock sold anyway. So I think that's why nothing's really been done about it. Because as far as the retailers are concerned, well, we're selling them all. They're sold out. So we can, we're making the money. So it's just that then everyone else has to pay like God knows how much extra to get the whole of one themselves. But yeah, I think I saw something crazy that the Xboxes aren't going to be back in stock till. April? Uh, I think they are pushing to try and get more in stock as soon as possible, but it was just um, there's a, there's a, I think it's just the, the situation we're in right now, it's a lot more complicated and but I think both of them are struggling and um, there's a thing recently, like Phil Spencer in an interview um, he mentioned something about like they didn't start making them until like August I think it was Yesterday, actually, Phil Spence did actually quite a uh, quite an interesting, insightful interview for um, The Verge as part of their um, sort of weekly podcast. And um, in terms of the the Xbox, the Series X, uh, they didn't uh, start making it until August because they're waiting on a very particular component for the Nvidia chip they were using. Or AMD chipset, sorry, they were using. I was say, don't say Nvidia, you'll get the. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely um, an AMD console. Definitely. I'm actually, I think you're one. <laughs> I'm also trying to build a PC at the same time as doing this in, in line yeah. with Black Friday, so I'm just, uh, I'm weird now. But um, yeah, so for the, uh, for the AMD chipset, and um, the gamble of it was really, um, obviously, it delays their their production line. Um, compared to competitors like Sony, but actually the payoff, hopefully for them, would be further down the line um, as more and more games start being released and can actually harness the raw power um, of the Series X. Um, but this, uh, the interview was quite interesting because it's, um, 
uh, it was quite a sort of down to earth look uh, behind Microsoft and the kind of the theory behind releasing two consoles compared to Sony's one. And a lot of it kind of harks back to the discussion we had a couple of episodes ago um, with the sort of like the Series S being the subscription model, the sort of budget model, the X being uh, the more sort of hardcore gaming model. And um, actually, Quantico uh, Spence, the chronology behind it was there was a massive risk, but actually, where they're going is they're trying to aim to build a wider community. Um, and introducing the Series S was their sort of way of getting um, the sort of casual gamer market or encouraging people who've never taken gaming before to make that step. Because obviously with the Series S, you can um, pay for it monthly, yearly, that kind of thing, but you also get the pass included. So you get almost like a massive boost to begin with, like a booster pack of this is gaming, here you go, as opposed to relying solely on um, sort of performance element the um and the really nitty-gritty details of the specs so the series x is obviously the main competitor against the ps5 but the series s is there for a more intro to really sort of compete i would say in a way with um the switch and that kind of thing where it's more casual gaming more entry-level gaming which is quite interesting would you say it's like a companion console, like the second TV or bedroom kind of thing, rather than? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Which um, which is interesting. But he also says that um, in terms of sort of like the, the supply and demand thing, they're focusing more on the Series X, uh, making more um, sort of Series X over this holiday period, and then they expect there to be a bit of a flip for the Series S in the longer term to then catch up and eventually become their sort of biggest money spinner as it grows their community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because it kind of goes back to what we said previously and obviously uh, what Ian was saying earlier where it's, it's, I think a lot of this is driven by community uh, more than anything else. And one of the things he was saying was the biggest fear was releasing console or releasing a game is actually one of the most intimidating and horrible things because end of the day it's an element object and it's being analyzed it's being torn apart put back together you know, some of this has been run over by lawnmowers and spray painted tennis posters whatever and it's the object can't defend itself you know yeah. it's out there it's out there so it's um and they're not going to know exactly what how it's going to fare, or even a lot of the uh, sort of limitations until it's properly out there, you know. I think like my- Microsoft as well definitely know about that, considering how the Xbox One was originally received. Yeah. And I get the feeling like a lot of what's gone on with this launch is trying to redress what happened there. Um, especially because I've, I've seen a lot with, with Phil Spencer in general, or even not just in this interview, but just pretty much ever since they announced the console, there's been a big push for things like the cloud and mm-hmm. uh, Game Pass and all this sort of stuff. So it's sort of there's been much more of a focus on we want to deliver games to people as best as we can across the board, uh, which is a huge difference to when the Xbox One got announced and it was like, oh, you can watch your TV through it and you can have a fantasy football league. And it's like, yeah, these aren't things that people buy a console for. They're things that they might use their console for, but they don't buy it for those things. So, I was going to say, do you think because of the gap that has been 
since the Xbox One and PlayStation Four release. That's why this is going to be more like hypercritical. So if you think it's been what seven, eight years now since the original Xbox One and PlayStation mm-hmm. Four, and we had mid-generation iterations with the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X, but for having a new console out, do you think that's why it's hyper laser focused this year? And that's why everybody's trying to get their hands on one. I suppose if you bought one of your original PS4s or the original Xbox One, you've been waiting a long, long time to upgrade. People always put, kind of point out that sort of, it's been seven years, but it's actually not that different to the previous generational gap. Because um, the um, 360 and PS3 came out around 2005-2006. So we're then going into 2013, so it's pretty much the same sort of time frame. Um, and then... But I think yeah, we are definitely seeing like a lot of a lot more hyper focus, like you say, because these are new these are the new shiny machines and people wanna play around with the new the new stuff and and you know, everyone's trying to get their hands on them and but I think it's something that sort of stands out with this generation as well, is that both consoles are getting it. Normally it's like one or the other. And the other one's kind of just floundering a bit. We definitely saw that with like the PS3 versus the Xbox One, PS4 versus the Xbox One. Um, but with this one, like both of them seem to be just struggling. Well, struggling in terms of getting the stock in people's hands, but not struggling in terms of actually people wanting them to have them in their hands. Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting comparing that to PC gaming as well at the same time because mm. we've had three quite hefty launches in the world of PC gaming where you've had the RTX 3000 series from NVIDIA. Uh, so you've got the 3080 and the 3090 come out and the 3070 is due very soon. Uh, AMD have just released their new chipset, which is the Zen 3 architecture, which is the 50 series. So it's 5800, 5600, 5950, 5700 series of processors that everybody's chomping at their bit to get hold of. And at the same time, AMD's released their new graphics card series, which is the 6800 series. So you've got the 6800 XT and the 6800, all of which, again, out of stock very quickly. It, it's, I think it's we've come to this thing with next day delivery and instant purchasing of electronics that we just expect them to be available. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time that we've had a short supply of pretty much everything electronic for a while. Mm-hmm. that's had a big effect on how these consoles have been positioned. And I think, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember how well the Switch was at launch, because that would have been like three years ago. Um, but I'm sure there was supply issues even then, um, initially. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's always that thing of just people jump in and they want to try the new stuff. And like they can only make so many to begin with, whereas as the console's out for a while, they've got stockpiles and you know they don't have to make as many long term, and like the sales gets a lot more spread out, and it's a lot easier. But because everyone's got that sort of, got a lot of people who've got that sort of FOMO kind of feeling of like I have to play this now, I have to I have to play Miles Morales with ray tracing, you know. <laughs> Cinematic 30 yeah. FPS. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because again, especially in let's say 2020 with the pandemic and that kind of thing there is a massive surge in people becoming a lot more sort of like content conscious so a lot of people will be starting their own twitch channels they'll be starting their own sort of youtube channels or putting more effort into that kind of thing so actually um looking at a console launch obviously you've had it you know previous console cycles but for this one especially 
for a lot of um, content uh, creators, you kind of want to get the console straight away, so then you can start pushing out um, video because it's kind of a guaranteed, it's guaranteed watch, it's guaranteed algorithm, it's guaranteed that kind of thing. So it's there's also that element which I never really considered before, but I've seen a lot of over the last couple of weeks with people I know personally and also just people I've, I watch online having that, you know, um, there's a lot more urgency to get that, not just for their own pleasure, but actually for, for their viewership and for their content. Yeah, I've noticed, that, I've noticed a lot of that with the... Um the YouTubers subreddits, the amount of people just popping up saying, started my channel, why am I not getting any views? It's like, because you're one of like three million other yeah. <laughs> uh, gaming YouTube channels that are literally just a dude playing a game that just came out, so definitely saying that. I think what Matt was saying about the, the, the change in, in, in I think it's not just the fact that it's a new console, which which appeals to a, a certain demographic of people. I think that it's not just the change in console upgrade, it's the change in society around it. That the, the, As you see each generation of console come out, obviously the size of the gaming community is increasing exponentially on each release as well. And also the way that content is shared and consumed. And I think that whole idea of, of, of content creators, and it's the same with any kind of new gadget or tech is that there will be a massive take-up initially because everybody wants to be on that we've got it we can show you what it's like and then you can make decisions about that going on so i think the, the whole the whole way we all view and consume content has a massive impact on the demand and what people are doing with them um, so i think there's a lot a lot to be said for that um, change I think it's a little bit bragging mm -hmm. rights as well now because I've mm. seen lots and lots of pictures on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter where those lucky enough to have a console or have a console purchased for them, the first thing they'll do now is take a picture of said box of console and post it online. Look, look I've got one. Look at me. I'm the shiny person. It's, it's the gaming equivalent of the, um, the the food Instagrams that are just like, hey, look at this lavish meal that I've, I've got, just to take a picture of it. I feel personally attacked right now. <laughs> I, I wasn't well directed at it. Um, supply chain, like, what's it? We don't, see, we don't see picture people of them going, we're not going to play games on them, we're just going to drop them off a bridge. Yeah. And you kind of go, don't, don't do that. I could have played that. Yeah. That's 500 quid worth of um, gaming console that's yeah. nobody's going to use. It's been interesting to the controversy around it as well. So, like, uh, Amazon are investigating some misdelivered oh. or undelivered consoles where people have been getting rice cookers or bags of cat litter or. Yeah. Substituted weight items instead of their so console. I did. I did see someone got like a Nerf gun instead of their PS5, and mm -hmm. it's just things like that. And I'm just like, okay, wh what the hell is happening here? Is this just, mm -hmm. is it just like someone, like the Amazon drivers are just taking the consoles off the back of the truck and just handing someone something else to make it look like they've <laughs> delivered something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been, been interesting to see in a lockdown world where we're now entrusting what would be a very much I would go to a store and buy this because of the cost of the item purchase to now 
any kind of delivery company and it seems to be the world has now shifted to we expect delivery drivers to be the most utmost reliable people on delivering our goods because there is no other way of sourcing a console that way. And then, I then I read yeah. that Amazon were going straight for Hermes as their delivery uh, drivers, <laughs> and everyone, everyone just immediately panicked on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> The biggest fear is your password being handled by Hermes. Yeah, your password has been drop kicked to your front door by Yodel. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the other one actually. Like it was Hermes and Yodel were the two being used by like Game and Amazon. It yeah. was like so yeah, like we were seeing a lot of, of. I don't know why they went with those two instead of just any of the other delivery services that are out there. Especially considering we just had like that video going around of like the delivery driver just chucking packages into the back of the van. <laughs> well, I think the most kind of apparent thing is, um, you know, we haven't really, apart from obviously Spider-Man, we've not really mentioned any games. And that's obviously because there's pretty much no games that aren't already out. <laughs> which is, again, very interesting. Apart from Godfall, which is kind of just kind of silently fallen by the wayside. I mean, it's got some very bad reviews as well. So. They mean the quadruple A title, which is Sackboy's Adventures. <laughs> hey, don't do not uh, disparage Little Big Planet. It is one of my favourite game series. <laughs> I found the most interesting thing from watching videos of, of both consoles, and I, I, I know I'm probably going to fall towards the Xbox eventually, um, because when game pa my Game Pass runs out, and my Gold runs out, and I might think, well if I can get the subscription-based package where I'm paying out a smaller amount each month and I get my uh, gold and Game Pass Ultimate and stuff all bundled in, that seems like a good deal. But I think the PlayStation 5 was what kind of more than more than any any, any other game. It's just the, the new um, uh, DualShock. I don't know what they call them now. In, in, but the, 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 the dual sense. and all the rest of it. And the fact that the pack-in game that they basically do give you as a tech demo, um, people are kind of raving about that as being like mm -hmm. you know, the best example of, of next-gen gaming because it's giving you all of that stuff that you want in the controls. Yeah, I've um, seen a lot of praise for Astro's Playroom, and it's it's it is a tech demo, but like they've gone too far with it. Like they they're just like, we, we, yeah, we might be making a tech demo, but. We're going to make it the best tech demo we could possibly make it. Well, that's what you expect like, from launch titles, isn't it? It's always to show off the new shiny features of the consoles. Mm -hmm. So as we mentioned with Mars Morales, there's the ray tracing where you can have it turned on so you can see all the beautiful reflections as you're going around. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, Astro's Playroom. Uh, Xbox hasn't really had anything like that because their big launch title, which was Halo Infinite, has been delayed until mm -hmm. an indefinite time. And everybody was expecting Cyberpunk 2077 to launch alongside or before the mm -hmm. consoles. And what I find interesting about like the launch titles is that both of them had like an indie darling sitting on there. Because um, you got um, the Falcon Ear on the Xbox and you got the Pathless on PS5, although reviews have certainly sided with the Pathless on that one. Um, I can personally attest that uh, the Falcon Ear is... Uh, not that great. <laughs> um, in fact, I should have a review on the site by the time this goes out. <laughs> Which but, is really um, nice Pathless is on Apple Arcade. Yeah, it well, is. Yeah. Um, but like in terms of console exclusivity, I think it's just on the PlayStations. Um, I, I imagine it's going to come to Switch and Xbox at some point. Because um, 
that's usually what happens. Is the other but, yeah. issue for both of these consoles to get the best out of them? It's not just a case of having the console. It's a it's a case of having a a screen mm -hmm. that can do 120 FPS and 4K UHD. It's not like you can buy the console and just plug it into the back of your kind of full HD TV and get the best quality out of the console. So is, do you think that that again is is kind of detrimental for the kind of um, immediate uptake of, of both? It's it's definitely something that I've um, like in like the recent roundups I wrote, it's definitely a point that I raised is that, you know, yeah, it can do all this stuff, but you also need the TV that's able to do it. And I think in terms of like the frame rates, you also need the HDMI cable that can do it. Because I think you still have standard HDMI cable can't do the 120 FPS. You need like the next, the sort of the more expensive models. I think it's something like that. Yeah, it's HDMI 2.1, I think is the standard that that's you the need. One, yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm lucky enough to have a TV with HDR and 4K and Dolby Vision. The TV was expensive enough as it is, but its yeah. implementation of HDR is what is the like intro level, which is HDR 400. You need mm -hmm. really, really bright screens to get a full HDR experience, and yeah. you're in you're in roughly in around fifteen hundred to two thousand pounds to get a properly compliant HDMI 2.1 TV, which is OLED, which is 4K, which is HDR mm -hmm. and Dolby Vision. So, and again, yeah, if you're plugging it into your standard full HD TV. Yeah. You're going to see zero uplift versus a PS4 or an yeah. Xbox One. That's that's why I think, like, out of the two, the one that sort of is presenting the most immediate kind of upgrade is probably the PS5 because of what they're trying to do with the controller. But also, at the same time, my concern is how much a developer is even going to use that is the thing. So then it ends up coming down to the loading screens being massively cut down and both of them are pretty good at that from what I've read so yeah they're both using what uh, AMD have titled direct access memory which means mm -hmm. the processor and the graphics card have like a direct chatting to each other without rather than going through yep. I think the, the thing as well it's, it's strange because outside of the Wii the Wii which really did change the the landscape with the controller that I mean every game that was developed for the Wii really made use of that control mechanism because they had no other choice i think mm -hmm. even the um joy cons uh, on the switch which have got some of the functionality that's now fed up into the playstation controller isn't really exploited uh, to that, that extent i mean the that, that's actually with it. that's actually a comment i've seen a few times that like people are bringing up how the how the ps5 controller has got all this you know, HD rumble type stuff in it. And people are like, yeah, but the, the Switch does that. And it's like, yeah, the Switch doesn't use it, though. <laughs> it's used it, like, in Super Mario Party and probably one other game. And Nintendo themselves seem to have forgot that it's in their own system. So, you know, certainly seem to be pushing this one quite heavily. Yeah, I mean, is it going to be the gimmick of this generation? Because there's always a gimmick for every generation, mm -hmm. which we're aware of, whether it be yeah. Connect or... The, the joyous Wii U tablet console. Or the or VR. <laughs> or the PlayStation <laughs> VR, yeah. Do you think yep. Do you think it's one of those things where it's going to be so hard to code just for that version of it that people aren't going to mm. bother? So if you think about That's... it now, the technology underlying PC gaming and both Xbox and PlayStation 4 gaming is all very much on the same line now. So mm -hmm. cross-coding is going to be very easy to do across the consoles and PCs, but I think there's probably going to be a bit of a restriction on what you can do differently for each of them. 
yeah i think with that's why i'm sort of saying like i'm wondering how much developers are going to use those those functions in the controller like certainly like sony's own studios are going to be using that all the time it's probably going to be mandated from high they have to um but um in terms of like third party games i think because they're going to be making it for the xbox and for pc and in some cases maybe for the switch as well they're not going to be able to to use all those functions on those other systems so they're just not going to bother on the ps5 because it's just that extra work for one version and it's you know from listening to developers speak in various different situations it's the kind of thing that it's the extra work that they just don't want you know like it's it's also I think it's the kind of stuff where they're interested in in doing it, but because they can only do it for one system, it's just not worth the investment. And what do you think of the rumblings, the rumours that Sony are going to start to explore a similar thing to Game Pass for themselves? Um, it's an interesting one because Sony seem to be denying wanting to go the same way with Microsoft that Microsoft are as like day one releases on. A subscription service. Um, I mean, the, they ha- already have a subscription service where you can just download games as it is because they built it into PlayStation Plus. You've got the game collection thing. I can't remember what they, they, they gave it a name that's painfully generic and has completely left my head. But it's, um, it's literally, you can download a whole bunch of PS4 games directly to your PS5. And there's a lot of there's a lot of really good stuff in there because you've got like God of War and you've got Persona 5 and um, I think most I think all of the Uncharted are on there because I think it might have the Nathan Drake collection and stuff. So you know there's a good selection on there. So if you if like which I think is kind of good if you're jumping into it and it's your first you know if you skip to the PS4 and you jumped onto the PS5 then you've got access to all these pretty basically the best of the PS4 straight away to download. But I don't think Sony are going to go as heavy with the subscription model that Microsoft have been doing, which is a shame because Game Pass is great. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see what you think about the esports scene, both of you, on these new consoles. Do you think there is going to be one? Because it's, I know the consoles esports scene has never been as much as on the PC. Now they're very closely technology-wise. Do you think there'll be much more of an opportunity? Um, yeah, there'll always be esports scenes uh, with the new consoles, that kind of thing. I think um, where it's going to struggle is um, cross cross play with PC, only because, um, especially with things like FPSs, you're not going to get the same. Um, the position of, of mouse and keyboard is different to controller. So that's kind of where, in the past, they've tried to do um, sort of cross-play and things like Overwatch and Call of Duty and that kind of thing. There has been... It's it's just not really worked necessarily. Um, but there will always be um, a scene. I think at the moment, it's kind of too early to tell because there's not really anything out. I mean, there's there's FIFA, there's, there's Cold War, there's that kind of thing. But... They haven't really um, used that yet, and especially in those kind of games where they're sequential releases, they will use a stable version. So normally the version before where it's been packed, it's been balanced, it's been that kind of thing to play um, compared to like the new releases like Cold War or FIFA 21. Um, 
So um, in short, I think it would be, yeah. So on a related note to that, I did see a question asked about like how the loading times are going to affect speedruns, uh, because it is a because often loading times are factored into the length of time it takes a bit of game, and if now you like basically eradicated that loading time, you know, are we going to see speedrunners jumping back in and trying to set a new record now that just they've taken out the loading times? So. <laughs> Yeah, it's been interesting to see about the whole thing that's been going on about the big house at Nintendo. And I think Sony and Microsoft won't act in a similar kind of methodology. I know. I mean, that whole situation with them, that's just Nintendo being Nintendo. Uh, That's a very unique thing to to them. Like Sony and Microsoft, I think, are definitely more willing to support community projects on the whole. Nintendo are notorious for shutting down fan projects and things. Because that whole thing with the big house is just because they were running like a modified version of Melee. Yeah. So they they Nintendo don't like that aspect of it and that's why they want it shut down. Um but we could I've seen with Sony and Microsoft they're a lot more lenient on this sort of thing. Um Microsoft especially because I the way that Phil Spencer talks he wants to see stuff like that all the time. You know. Um it's just it's just one of those things where like Nintendo being run by like just the old guard who've been around since the 80s and that's like their entire board and they just haven't adapted. They're the grandpa of the games industry and it shows sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> It's been interesting because I know with Cyberpunk 2077 they've re- they're releasing a Twitch streamer friendly mode I believe which is basically it's taking all the copyright music out of the game when you're playing it's it. Quite a common, it's quite a common thing now. Um, there's quite a few games that have that. Um, I know that um, Control did that weirdly enough, even though it barely has any licensed music, but there's still an option in the menu that turns off like the three tracks that are licensed music. I don't know if that turns off the music in the Ashtray Maze. I hope not, because <laughs> that's sort. Of, it was written for the game, but it's sort of licensed. So, <laughs> but yeah, you see, we're seeing it a lot more, and especially in game, especially in things like uh, racing games and sports games which use a lot of licensed music we're seeing that option crop up a lot so cyberpunk doing it i can absolutely see it's just kind of following that trend mm-hmm. still not swayed toward buying an xbox either of you gentlemen no nah. I've, I've got xbox i've got game pass on pc i'm quite happy with that <laughs> um yeah time being no i mean to be fair with the ps5 it's still still a no because for Mm. me it's more about i think going back to um sort of the question keith said earlier about um you know would having to buy like a 4k tv and that kind of thing it it goes back to sort of when you're building a pc and that kind of thing is what you actually want to get out of it and for me it's just whichever console at the time is going to have some interesting games i want to play i will then buy that console you know otherwise at the moment I'm still fine with my PC. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ratchet and Clank doesn't have a release date yet, so I'm not getting a PS5 anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, the, the launch window does look very bare for both of them. Yeah, I mean, we've got for the PS5, I know we've got Ratchet and Clank, we've got Horizon, and we've got God of War. But I think those last two are definitely like end of next year kind of thing. Um, I don't, and I know that Microsoft obviously have got um, Halo coming out at some point. I'm not sure what else they've got they on, on the card. No. Halo, we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, Infinite in the title is referring to how long it's going to be in development. 
uh, I'll throw some links in the description where you can catch Liam and Matt's gaming roundups that they put out each week, so you can keep up to date on the abreast of the news. Uh, yeah, and say so it's still the same for me. I think no Xbox anytime soon, babe, because my One X does everything I need it to. <laughs> I have a PC, so I seem quite generous. But um, definitely going to look at the subscription model, as Keith was mentioning, mm-hmm. post running out of Game Pass, maybe. Hello, this is the portion of the show where I talk about my games of the week for the past few weeks. Game of the week a few weeks ago was Chicken Police, a game with a surprisingly literal title. A hard-boiled detective duo, one a fallen star and the other a raging alcoholic, of course, are forced to work together on a new case despite their relationship being torn to shreds in the past. They are also both giant chickens. The game, which is a point-and-click adventure with visual novel elements, promises a gritty yet hilarious murder mystery with all the noir trappings, with more animals than is usual for the genre. Think Grim Fandango in tone, but the femme fatale is a cat. The whole thing looks very silly and a suitably weird addition to the adventure genre, so I reckon it'll be worth checking out. It is available on PC, PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. When the Xbox launched... A couple of weeks ago, it was perhaps unsurprising that a Yakuza fanboy like myself decided that Yakuza Like a Dragon became Game of the Week. The latest in Sega's serious crime drama slash bonkers Japanese life simulator franchise sees a huge shift in direction for the series. Kazuma Kiyu is out, retired for real this time, and now a new protagonist is taking centre stage. Ichiban Kasuga is a much goofier lead than the stoic, eternal straight man Kiyu, and this brings a new tone to the game. Ichiban is a massive Dragon Quest nerd, so he sees every fight as a turn-based battle, making a departure from the standard beat-em-up combat of past titles. It also moves away from Kamurocho, the series' classic Tokyo setting, moving to a brand new Yokohama setting. Fortunately, most of the stuff that made Yakuza so great appears to be retained. A serious crime drama wrapped in silliness and karaoke, only now you can recruit a homeless man to throw pigeons at your opponents. Excellent. It's available on PC, PS4... Xbox One, and the Xbox Series X slash S. And then, last week, with the release of the PS5 here in the UK, I picked one of the launch titles for that system, the game that everybody's talking about, Bug Snacks. The concept is simple. There are little creatures that are kind of bug and kind of snack, and you try to catch them in your trap. You feed somebody and you'll see we are whatever we eat. In a strange mix of Pokemon and a survival game, Bug Snacks sees you catching delicious and adorable creatures and then eating them to change body parts into the food the Bug Snack is based on. It's already become a bit of a meme because of its strange concept and ridiculously catchy theme song, which has been stuck in my head for the best part of a week now, and I admit that I've kind of been taken in by it too. Bug Snacks promises to be a fun time that doesn't take itself seriously and may also be hiding some serious horror behind its cutesy exterior and goofy naming conventions. It is totally my jam. It is available on PC, PS4 and PS5. And now, back to the main show. Uh, so we talked about Mandalorian last issue, so we thought it's only fair to flip to the other side of the sci-fi coin from the US and the other one which starts with a star, and it is Trek, not Wars. Uh, star Trek Discovery is relaunched for Season 3 on Netflix, and we're about, what, four or five episodes in now, so we thought it's about time to have a quick catch-up on where we are. I think the sixth episode will be out by the time we've recorded this, so bear with us a little bit on where the plot point is. Uh, but uh, we're 900 years in the future, based on where we were at the end of Season 2, and things are a little bit different in the world of Star Trek after the burn. Uh, I'm quite enjoying it, actually. 
um, it's um, upped its uh, kind of action quotient a little bit as well. There's a lot more going on. There's lots of interesting changes in how the Federation and Starfleet work. Um, but I'm still mostly disappointed at the moment we haven't had enough Starship porn. They keep teasing <laughs> futuristic starships and keep telling us, like, that's got detachable nacelles and that's got this. And you see like, the names of ships through windows. So you had, you had the USS Nog or a, a New Discovery or whatever. It, just, it, it was a Voyager J, I think, was in the background. New Voyager, yeah. 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 NCC, like, 1234567897, yeah. 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 <laughs> and I just kind of go, can I just see more of the spaceships, please? Like I, I, I like the drama and I like the acting and stuff, but like occasionally I kind of like seeing spaceships zip around the universe a little bit. Um, so I'm kind of I'm kind of missing that a little bit. And they've kind of had a quite a, quite a few planet bound uh, episodes so far, um, but it's, it's kind of cool. It kind of plays, um, you know, within the bounds of what you expect from a Star Trek show, but also keeps it modern and uh, fresh. I think really. So if, if people aren't Star Trek fans. There's still plenty in there for people to get kind of get into in terms of um, you know storytelling and drama and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. I think personally, the time jump has fixed a lot of issues that people would have had with the original two series because it was kind of sandwiched in to that first five years of Enterprise with Pike being in charge, and there was like how how does Discovery shape up being in that original Star Trek universe? And I think the time setting of having that jump has worked really well for it, where it's kind of, it's allowed to be its own thing now. It has no restrictions. Uh, we're so far in the future now. All the old rules don't apply so much. And we have this new iteration of the Federation. Uh, it's got a lot more to play with. It's got a whole galaxy which has changed and turned around. I mean, we saw the episode with the Trill. Uh, they were no longer part of the Federation. Well, they were never part of the Federation, but they're not in contact with the Federation at this point. And it's really interesting to see how they've adapted the whole Discovery concept and set it so far in the future. I think it works great to have that distance. Yeah, and that's and whilst it's kind of nine hundred years or whatever, it doesn't seem stupidly out of reach or what have you. Mm -hmm. I, I I am enjoying. With this series, uh, they seem to be including a few more of the, the peripheral characters, and they're kind of getting drawn in a, a, a little bit more into the, the main storylines and, and so on. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of where they go with that. But kind of last season, anyway, I thoroughly, I thought Pike was phenomenal in the last, in the last series. Um, but, yeah. Exactly as you said, Ryan, it kind of it, it frees them up a little bit more yeah. to be its, its own thing this time, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think some of the ancillary characters they've added this season, so you've got David Ayala playing Boone. He's been a great addition to the cast, and it's allowed yes. uh, Sonequa Martin-Green's Burnham, Michael Burnham, to free herself out of that whole number one role situation. And it's kind of, they've flipped her character around quite a bit now, whereas she was so stuffy the first two yes. series. Now she's allowed to develop and grow personally. Be a pain in the ass, you mean? 
All that as well, yeah. Playing against Doug Jones is never going to be fun because he's such a fantastic actor, but I think yeah. he's really stepped up this year. Just, just the way he comports himself when he walks out. Every time he walks out of a room, I'm just looking at him going, he's, he's acting, he's in prosthetics, and he's doing all the kind of movement stuff. And you just think, how has this man not won like literally all of the awards for his performances? Um, you know, I, I know that he's, he's got a long history of doing that kind of performance capture stuff. Pan's Labyrinth, Silver Surfer, and all the rest of it. Hellboy, um, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Abe Sapien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good. But I, I like as well the fact that we've we've gone back to the kind of the tradi- the good Star Trek tradition of having a, a pet in it in your Enterprise. Orthos, <laughs> Beagle. Data had Bot, and now we've got the like the greatest screen cat since the the Flurkin in Captain Marvel, and we've got Groot. There's something going on with that cat. There is something going on with that cat. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, otherwise it's just a little bit too much of a throwaway thing, isn't it? <laughs> Although it would be quite fun if they just go, she's just a cat, that's it, there's nothing else. Yeah, because you know you still go at the end of the son of a... <laughs> I still enjoyed it, though. I think that was my favourite scene in the last episode that we watched, where the, communicate, the uh, ship turns up, the communicator comes on, and it's just the cat. In full screen, <laughs> Slip. just just the cat flying the spaceship on its own. <laughs> I mean, I think that cat deserves its own little spin-off series. Because uh, I think the thing is, especially as well now they're pushing the CBS axis in the states. You've got Picard, which is pretty much at the same time a stable mate, but the opposition, yes. where everybody loves. Uh, Patrick Stewart is a fantastic actor. He's got all the acting chops, and we've had one series of Picard, and it's been quite well renowned in most circles. And then you've got Discovery, which is an entirely brand new concept at the same time, running against each other. And over here, we have the joy of having one on Amazon Prime and one on Netflix, whereas in the States, it's all on one streaming service. But having both series run at the same time might be a bit of an issue for some fans because I know there's been a lot of backlash about Discovery Online uh, especially especially the direction they've taken it which some people isn't true Trek but at the same time it's expanding past what Trek used to be I think and I think having these story story of the week episodes has really helped in season 3 it's kind of that period of growing Riker's beard has been a time jump for them, where they're allowed to do what they want to do now, and they don't have to conscript to having this very tight, noodly time string that they have to run with it. Yeah. I kind of struggle with the idea of people saying it's not true Trek. Because for me, it is. Because for me, Trek has always been about exploring the issues of the day, which the, the, the original series did particularly well in its short three-season run. TNG did it particularly well as, as well in that kind of 80s period. Um, you know, Voyager touched on things a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Deep Space Nine definitely was oh, kind yeah. of very much a reflection of what was going on in American foreign policy uh, at that time, you know, which, which you, you may not have picked up at the time. But when you watch it back, you can definitely see the time that that was taking place and the kind of thing that was going on with, with, with um, George Bush and, and the US and stuff. And I think... T- Discovery, again, is now being very forthright with its kind of allegory of, of contemporary times and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that's what Trek does, is, is reflect our current world back to us through a futuristic prism. 
and I, and I think that that's that's what makes Star Trek Star Trek for me. Mm. Yeah, I think we've got a very different remainder of the series coming up as well. There's definitely something happening in the background with this underlying thread about the burn. I think that's going to change things up ready for season four. So I'm looking forward to that. It's a, for me, definitely recommended watch. So it's on Netflix now. Uh, all three seasons is available. So go and check it out. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast this week. Ian, thank you very much for joining us again. Always a great pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, where can we find about your latest exploits online? Again, thanks ever so much for having me, guys. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. It's always good fun. Um, uh, usually find me online on Instagram at in underscore Richardson underscore art and on Facebook if you either find me by searching in Richardson or I think it might even be Rico Illustration. Best places to get a hold of me. Yeah, and don't forget you can get your unthinkables directly from it here, Ian, if you drop him a message on Instagram or Facebook. Please do. Please do. Yeah, and thanks very much for joining us again and we'll hopefully see thanks, you soon. Jeff's. Definitely. <laughs> All right, we'll see you soon. Bye. Lee, where can we find you online? You can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where I make gaming videos of various different stripes. Uh, got a, an Alan Wake video up now by the time this goes out, and got the Advent Calendar, where I play random games from Game Pass for 24 days in December as we move up to Christmas. I'm also on Twitter at Bob the Pet Ferret for updates and the Cheap Ferret for just general tweets and then i'm also on patreon at bob the pet ferret as well matt where can we find you online you can find me on twitter at mr matt lovell where i'm normally talking about uh, sort of science technology engineering and maths as part of my role or something birmingham centric and occasionally trying to be funny um you can find me on instagram at uh, matchstick underscore matt uh, where mostly post selfies if anything at all and you can find me weekly on the Geeky Brummy Gaming Roundup with Lee. Keith, where can we find your delightful artwork online? Uh, when I'm not watching Lee's videos where he plays a cat in a mech suit. Um, <laughs> can be found at Hardluck underscore Hotel on Twitter, which occasionally has stuff that isn't retweeting Geeky Brummy stuff. Uh, and then on Instagram at Hardluck underscore Hotel, note no, there is an underscore. What am I talking about? It's hard luck. <laughs> Hotel, no underscore on Instagram. Uh, and you can see stuff on, on there. Generally, beautiful black and white in, imagery, I believe. My my current landmarked series. Yeah, I'm so arty. <laughs> it's got a name. <laughs> the landmarks series. <laughs> no marks actually in the landmark series, though. Disappointed no. so far. I just want lots was... of marks on land. <laughs> yeah, just find it. Mark, my friend Mark, just just stand there. <laughs> on just some random guy's land. <laughs> what you don't see is the photo afterwards where he's being chased off. <laughs> That's the next series. Mark, yeah. Mark landmarks chased. <laughs> Followed by sea marks oh, and river marks. <laughs> And Ryan, where can we find you? You can find me at on for all the foodie stuff. Currently retweeting, well, mostly tweeting GIFs about MasterChef, the professionals. We're all still intrigued. There's been a mystery because one of the contestants was edited out of an episode completely. And there's a flash screen <laughs> at the start, which has started off all the Twitter detectives trying to work out why. That's, that's been fun the last couple of days. But... Uh, other than that, you can find me at Ryan Parish, which is exclusively a Brummie Gone retweet and Geeky Brummie retweet channel at the moment. 
Uh, you can find us at YouTube and do please subscribe to our YouTube. We've got a series of videos coming up soon, which you might be aware of, where we will question my sanity again after last year's attempt. <laughs> you, you've waited all year to for be, our next our to, next YouTube content, and it's going to be a doozy. <laughs> we'll see how disappointed I get this year. I'm hoping <laughs> not. Uh, other than that, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Kiki Brewing. As Lee and Keith and Matt have mentioned previously, you can find our gaming roundups on Fridays, our comic roundups on Wednesdays. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, tell all your friends and do all the, the fun stuff which really helps the podcast. I know we moan about this every single episode, but please do <laughs> like and review and tell your friends because it really helps us with engagement and stuff like that and all those horrible words that Generation Z throw around now, like it's normal parlance. But for now, goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 Goodbye, everyone.